Good Wednesday morning, and the heat is still on. Big time. More than half the country facing even more brutally hot tents. It is September 6th. This is today. Oppressive. Another day of record-shattering highs on tap from the south to the northeast. Triple digits in some areas. It's like so hot, so humid. Schools just reopened, now being forced to close, and relief may not come until the weekend. Al's got your full forecast. Breaking overnight, Secretary of State Antony Blinken making a surprise visit to Ukraine. His new message on the war and even more U.S. support for the people of Ukraine. Expanding the search, new sightings fueling the growing manhunt for an escaped killer near Philadelphia. It is important we keep pressure on him as we continue this hunt. How he's managed to stay on the run for nearly a week and the new questions surrounding his escape. Making their case, Alec Murdoch's attorneys accusing a court official of tampering with the jury. There's no choice but the court to grant a new trial. Just ahead, we go one-on-one with the defense team about their stunning claim, plus what the state attorney general has to say. All that plus final day is a new revelation about the secret health battle that led to the passing of TV icon Bob Barker. And Young Americans, the new U.S. stars making tennis history at the U.S. Open. 19-year-old Coco Gauff dominating on her way to the semifinals. And the 20-year-old sensation on a Cinderella run of his own. Is the American tennis drought at the Open finally over? Today, Wednesday, September 6th. 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today. Nice to have you with us on a Wednesday morning. Hoda, the heat is on. Stop it. At the U.S. Open. Could you believe what happened yesterday? These young American (laughs) stars are phenomenal. Just dominated. Coco Gauff headed to the semifinals. Ben Shelton, a new name in tennis, defeating Francis Tiafoe, another American favorite. I mean, our cup runneth over for tennis fans. We are going to get into all that in a bit. It is hot on the court, and it's hot in a lot of other places around the country. We're talking about the brutal heat wave. It's hitting just... As summer break ends for millions of kids and teachers, in fact, some districts are actually having early dismissals or full-on closings to keep kids safe. Well, look at this. Some of yesterday's record high temps from places really just not used to this type of heat at this time of year. 90 degrees in Augusta, Maine. 92 in Concord, New Hampshire. 94 in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And there is another concern for people in schools this morning. New fears over COVID. A slew of new variants are out there. Hospitalizations on the rise. We've got what's already shaping up to be a pretty different fall. We've got it covered out with the forecast, of course, including a tropical storm on the move. It could become a major hurricane. But let's start with Kristen Dahlgren. She's in Concord, where it is expected to hit 90 again today. Kristen, folks, do not expect those temperatures in September. Right. Good morning, Savannah. Yeah, New Hampshire, usually a haven this time of year as the temperatures dip. Not this year. Here in Concord, they've had to make changes to recess here in the school district. They're also canceling some after-school sports amid worries that these temperatures are just downright dangerous. This morning, millions of Americans are feeling the heat. Students sweating it out as they head back to school in many places this week. Basically, like, my arms would stick to my desk and I would have to, like, rip them up because it was so hot and sweaty. With temps soaring toward records, a lack of AC is making some schools uncomfortably hot. We do have 
a few fans. That's all. Leaving some districts to cut the day short out of a concern for student safety from Michigan. Just really doesn't make any sense to me why they don't have air conditioner or portable air conditioners to New Jersey. I'd rather it be this weather when I'm at the beach or anywhere about school. <laughs> when you step inside like a, any classroom, it's like so hot, so humid. The lack of adequate air conditioning leaving parents worried about possible dehydration and cutting learning short. If they have to sit in class all day, it shouldn't be hot, you know, it's taken away from their education and the way that they're going to function all day. In Baltimore, the soaring temperatures have triggered a code red extreme heat alert, meaning some of the city's pools will stay open longer. It's just like incredibly hot out here. And in Texas, as the mercury soars to the triple digits, the state's main electric grid operator has issued a weather watch through Friday as demand soars to the highest level ever seen in September. We were just drowning in our sweat because it was so hot. And the worries aren't just when kids get to school. Keep in mind that many school buses don't have air conditioning either. So if you're headed out this morning, make sure and tell those kids to stay hydrated on the way, guys. Oh, yeah. And don't lose your water bottle. Not on the first day. Kristen, thank you so much. (laughs) All right. So what are we going to expect from the surge of these kind of summer-like temperatures? Al's got his first look at the forecast. Al, how's it looking? Well, guys, good morning and good morning to you. And we do have some good news in the forecast, but you're going to have to wait about 24 hours, depending on where you live. 81 million people of uh, uh, 81 million of us from the northeast down into the south and the southwest under heat watches, heat advisories, heat warnings. Today, we expect records in Plattsburgh, Albany, Hartford, Islip, Hagerstown, down to Salisbury, Maryland. And we are looking at these temperatures next couple of days into the 90s for New York City, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., triple digits for today. And down south, more records from Tucson to Tyler, Baton Rouge, down to McCallum and also for Dallas. Now, here's the deal. You're going to be looking at triple digits from Tucson, Albuquerque. Little Rock will be in the high 90s, uh, triple digits for Houston. But then this Canadian cold front comes through, and from the Great Lakes into the northeast, temperatures drop about 20 degrees in one day. Look at this temperature change, a 14-degree difference dropping in Chicago, 71 for tomorrow, 81 in Buffalo. It'll drop 11 degrees in Charleston to 81. And then tomorrow, we're looking at Boston getting in on the act, but New York City will cool down. Same for Raleigh, but unfortunately, down through the southeast and into the south, Tampa into the 90s, low 90s, New Orleans, Houston will see temperatures in the triple digits. So a little relief here in the northeast, no relief down for the south. And coming up in just a little bit, we're going to look at Tropical Storm Lee, which could be our next major hurricane, guys. All right, Al, thank you. Breaking overnight, Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Ukraine for a series of key meetings as the war there rages on. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel is in key for us this morning. Hi, Richard. So the goal of this visit. So the goal, according to the Secretary of State himself, is to express support for Ukraine. Uh, Secretary Blinken arrived here in Kyiv this morning. He took an overnight train from Poland. And just about three hours before he arrived here, Russia sending a message uh, attacking this city uh, with another missile attack. However, there was no significant damage. The missiles were shot down. Uh, But this is the first visit by a senior U.S. official since the uh, major Ukrainian counteroffensive began. 
began about three months ago. And according to a senior State Department official, the timing is key because now three months into the offensive, uh, the U.S. wants to show support as there hasn't been much focus on this war. You want, they, they want to bring the war front and center to the American people's attention. Uh, the official describing it almost as a back-to-school visit. Now the summer's over, the fall has begun, uh, the U.N. General Assembly meeting uh, just about two weeks uh, from now. So uh, an idea for the two sides to to reconnect, get on the same page going into the fall. Well, you mentioned the counteroffensive, and I know that it was a slow start in the early days. Is there any progress to report? Uh, it is incredibly difficult. Um, the, the Ukrainians were making uh, ma- tremendous advances in the early phase of this war. Anyone who's watched war for a long time know that it's not a, a linear thing. It takes it's, it's, it's more phases and stages. And this particular stage is incredibly difficult because the Ukrainians are fighting against dug in Russian troops and the Russians have very significant defenses, three lines of defenses with, uh, with trenches and landmines, uh, according to Ukrainians, millions of of landmines have been placed uh, covering an area roughly the size of Florida. So the Ukrainians are driving into this. They're trying to punch a hole through these very fortified, very difficult uh, Russian defensive positions. Uh, and they've been doing that at, at a tremendous cost to themselves, according to some estimates uh, by uh, U.S. officials. We're talking now a year and a half into this conflict, about 500,000 killed and injured on both sides, 300,000 on the Russian side, 200,000 on the Ukrainian side. Many of those casualties happening during this counteroffensive. What a toll. Richard Engel and Key Forrest, thank you for the update. A central figure in the attack on the U.S. Capitol has been handed down the stiffest prison sentence so far. A judge ruled yesterday that Enrique Tarrio, a one-time leader of the far-right Proud Boys, will spend 22 years behind bars. Tarrio and three other Proud Boys were convicted in May of seditious conspiracy. Now, while not, while not physically present during the January 6th riot, prosecutors say He directed the others, Tario apologizing in court yesterday, saying, quote, to the men and women of law enforcement who answered the call that day, I'm sorry. There are new developments this morning in that urgent manhunt for an escaped inmate in Pennsylvania. Police now expanding the perimeter of the search area after multiple sightings of the convicted murderer over the past few days. NBC's George Solis on the story again for us. Hi, George. Good morning. Good morning, Savannah. That search area only continues expanding, leading to more business and school closures in the area out of an abundance of caution. Now, residents in this town just outside Philadelphia are growing more anxious by the day. They just want this killer caught so they can go back to their everyday lives. Escape murderer Daniello Cavalcante has now been on the run in Chester County, Pennsylvania for seven days. It is important we keep pressure on him as we continue this hunt. The manhunt for the convicted killer intensifying yet another sighting of him, this time on a trail camera at a popular botanical garden. The photos confirm that Cavalcante has not changed his appearance, but also that he has obtained a backpack, a duffel sling type pack, and a hooded sweatshirt. According to police, there have now been five credible sightings of Cavalcante within their initial search area. Following the latest sighting, they quickly expanded the perimeter in an effort to contain the fugitive. While using a recording of his mother's voice around the search radius, telling him to turn himself in. Cavalcante escaped from Chester County Prison last Thursday, just a week after being handed a life sentence for brutally killing his ex-girlfriend. Please secure homes, outbuildings, and vehicles. 
Cavalcante has clearly already obtained some clothing and unknown other supplies, and we want to minimize any opportunity to obtain anything more. Local residents staying vigilant this morning as life, including the start of the school year, is now on pause. We're watching to see if school will be canceled. Practices have been canceled. It would be good if they caught this, this escape prisoner sooner rather than later. We have life to get back to. As emergency services send phone calls like this. If you see him, do not approach and call 911 immediately. He is convicted of homicide and presumed extremely dangerous. Questions growing about how Cavalcante escaped in the first place, especially following the escape of another inmate from the same prison earlier this year. But for now... Officials say they are channeling all efforts on Cavalcante. Our main focus right now is to capture this fugitive. There's still a major police presence here with more than 200 law enforcement officers from local, state and federal agencies. The FBI and U.S. Customs also on the ground really tells you the scope of this thing and just how badly they want this killer caught. Savannah. All right, George Solis, thank you very much. To Washington now, where the Senate's top Republican, Mitch McConnell, has returned to work while still facing questions about his health. The Republican freezing on camera at two public events recently, the latest just last week. NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Hake has more on this. Hey, Garrett, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning. McConnell appears eager to move on from this story, only briefly mentioning last week's incident in his first speech back on the Hill. And in a new letter, the Capitol's physician says he's ruled out a seizure disorder or a stroke without identifying what is the underlying cause for these incidents. Still, Republican senators appear unified behind McConnell, with many telling us they're confident he's still up to the job of party leader. This morning, Republican leader Mitch McConnell back in the U.S. Senate, closely watched as he returned to the Senate floor Tuesday. McConnell choosing to focus on policy, making only a passing mention of growing concerns over his health. Now, one particular moment of my time back home has received its fair share of attention in the press over the past week. But I assure you, August was a busy and productive month for me and my staff. The comments come after a second health scare last week left him momentarily frozen at a Kentucky news conference. Did you hear the question, Senator? The 81-year-old lawmaker, unresponsive for more than 30 seconds, eventually led away by staff. I'm sorry, you all, we're going to need a minute. The incident following a similar freezing episode in July on Capitol Hill. It's been good bipartisan cooperation and a string of... McConnell suffered a concussion and a broken rib in a fall in March. And on Tuesday, his office released a letter from the Capitol's attending physician noting his continuing recovery and stating that an MRI, consultations with neurologists, and other tests all revealed no evidence of a seizure disorder, stroke, or movement disorder like Parkinson's. The physician and McConnell's staff suggesting the freezing episodes were the result of lightheadedness and possibly dehydration. This, as lawmakers in both parties largely rallied around McConnell and his ability to continue as the GOP's leader in the Senate. It appears to me that these are still pretty isolated incidents. Senator, what's your reaction to this latest health scare from Mitch McConnell, and are you confident he can still do the job? The reality is that we may expect uh, that Mitch McConnell will check out for 20 seconds a day, but the other 86,380 seconds in the day, he does a pretty darn good job. 
Now, McConnell avoided or ignored questions from reporters on his health all day yesterday, but he is expected to address the issue behind closed doors with Republican senators today and at his regular weekly news conference afterwards. Hoda. All right, Garrett Hake for us there on the Hill. Garrett, thank you. Much more to get to this morning as we say good morning to Craig. Good morning, hey, Savannah. Morning. Hoda, good morning. Good morning to you as well. COVID back in the headlines this morning. The nation experiencing a rise in cases now. That rise highlighted by First Lady Dr. Jill Biden's diagnosis this week. NBC's, NBC's Tom Costello joins us now with a look at where things stand with the virus and also a look ahead to possible boosters this fall. Tom, good morning to you. Yeah, hey, Craig, you know, we are not through this yet. We are seeing a slight uptick in hospitalizations and deaths. But the reality is we are in a much different place than we were a couple of years ago, even a year ago, when the numbers were a lot higher. Still, health experts say that is not a reason to dismiss the virus. It continues to mutate. It continues to pose health risks. From the White House to concert and sports arenas, even daytime TV, a reminder that COVID-19 has not gone away. As health experts say, a late summer wave of cases is now leading to an uptick in hospitalizations, though still well below pandemic peaks. We haven't reached a predictable pattern with the virus. That's why we have to care. And we're seeing incredible mutations and changes in the virus. Among those now on their second round with the virus, First Lady Dr. Joe Biden, who's experiencing mild symptoms, we're told, and staying in Delaware. President Biden tested negative last night for COVID-19 and tested negative again today. He's not experiencing any symptoms. That diagnosis led President Biden to briefly break out a face mask during a Medal of Honor ceremony Tuesday. As some Americans are choosing once again, it's time to cover up in public while on TV. As you can see, Whoopi is not here. She has COVID. The View's 27th season kicked off without moderator and co-host Whoopi Goldberg. The U.S. Open is underway, missing the often colorful commentary of tennis legend John McEnroe. Even heavy metal rockers Metallica forced to reschedule a show in Arizona. All disruptions from a virus that most experts don't think will leave us anytime soon, if ever. Does this just underscore how persistent COVID is? It underscores that this is a novel virus that's trying to survive. The good news, the FDA says existing at-home tests can detect new variants. And the CDC could vote as early as next week to approve new boosters, which experts say everyone should consider, even if you're young and healthy. The trick is to just stay ahead of it and to keep rates low enough so that we can enjoy our lives without being bothered by it all the time. Okay, one thing doctors are still actively studying and concerned about, the effects of long COVID, people who've had COVID for a very long time. Experts say sometimes people aren't getting diagnosed properly and they're still trying to determine the guidance for what to do if you experience it. Craig, one of my best friends from Denver, he's had it now for three and a half years. It is utterly debilitating. Our thoughts, thoughts go out to those folks. Yeah, my, my wife as well, long COVID for a couple of years now. Tom Costello for us there in D.C. Tom, thank you. All right. All right. A lot of people suffering mm-hmm. with that. Let's get out with the rest of the forecast. There's that storm. That's right. This is Tropical Storm Lee, 65 miles per hour winds moving northwest at 14. Now, this is the American model. It shows a track of a north of Puerto Rico this weekend, curving toward Bermuda next week. The European model agrees pretty much. Both models right now keep it away from the East Coast, but this is still 7 to 10 days out, so we are going to continue to track and monitor this. And that's your latest weather. Guys? All right, Alfie. Thank you. Thank you. Wow.
Still ahead, inside convicted killer Alec Murdoch's push for a new trial, making a stunning claim of jury tampering by a court official. We're going to talk about that and what's live in the case in a, a live interview with Murdoch's defense team. Right there. And then a banner day and night for young Americans at the U.S. Open. 19-year-old Coco Goff, 20-year-old Ben Shelton smashing their way to the semifinals. We will take a closer look at these remarkable runs, the history they're making, and what it means to the future of tennis here in the U.S. But first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash today just go to indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash today conditions apply need to hire you need indeed back at 7 30 the sensational simone biles winning her record eighth U.S. gymnastics title a little earlier last month. To say her comeback has been impressive, well, that's an understatement. Tomorrow, Hoda's going to go one-on-one with Simone live. This is her first interview since returning to competition. I mean, we're so excited. We're so hopeful that Tokyo, Tokyo, that Paris Olympics are on her mind. They have to be. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hoda, of course, had to leave a little early because it's the first day of school, but rest assured, she'll be back in plenty of time for that tomorrow. You should would not miss it. Meanwhile, we got a lot of news to get to in this half hour, starting with this new twist in the Alec Murdoch case. Yeah, we told you that the convicted double murderer is now seeking a new trial. And this morning, his legal team is asking for a federal investigation claiming the jury that convicted Murdoch was improperly influenced by the court clerk. We're going to talk to Murdoch's attorneys in just a moment. But first, NBC's Kathy Park joins us from Columbia, South Carolina with new details. Kathy, good morning to you. Hey, Craig, good morning to you. Yeah, this was perhaps one of the most high-profile murder trials in recent history. And as you mentioned, this ended with a conviction, and Murdoch is now serving two consecutive life sentences for the murders, the brutal murders of his wife and son. And now, according to his attorneys, their client is in disbelief over this latest twist. This morning, an explosive new legal twist in the case of convicted killer Alec Murdoch. His attorneys are demanding a new trial, accusing the Colleton County Clerk of Court of jury tampering. We never considered the likelihood, as reported to us by the jurors, that the clerk of court would go in to the sanctity of the jury room before he testified and tell the jurors, don't be fooled by his testimony. In sworn affidavits from two jurors, Murdoch's attorneys detail multiple instances of what they say was improper conduct by clerk of court Rebecca Hill. According to Murdoch's legal team, Hill allegedly told jurors, y'all are going to hear something that will throw you all off. Don't let this distract you or mislead you. Hill, seen outside the courthouse after the verdict, acknowledged by prosecutors for her work. 
I want to thank uh, the Carlton County Clerk of Court, Becky Hill, and her entire team. The defense motion filed Tuesday also alleges Hill asked jurors for their opinions about Murdoch's guilt or innocence, pressured them to reach a quick verdict, and invented a story about a Facebook post to remove a juror she believed would have found Murdoch not guilty. Jury tampering uh, by a clerk of the court would be something very rare and very dramatic. Shortly after the trial, three of the jurors appearing on today, telling Savannah and Craig they didn't believe Murdoch's emotional testimony was genuine. He knows, like what she said, when to turn it on and off. So I think that we were kind of able to read right through that. Months after the trial ended, Hill co-authored a tell-all book about her experience on such a major case called Behind the Doors of Justice, the Murdoch Murders. NBC News has reached out to Hill for comment about the new allegations and have not heard back. But she told Court TV they were untrue. Guilty verdict. In March, Murdoch was found guilty of murdering his wife Maggie and his son Paul in 2021 and received two consecutive life sentences. According to his lawyers, he still maintains his innocence. And if that is true, now, we reached out to those three jurors who appeared on today. Two declined to comment. One we have not yet heard back from. Meanwhile, we should also note that the Attorney General of South Carolina has reviewed this motion and says that he will comment at an appropriate time. Craig? All right. Kathy Park there in Columbia, South Carolina. Kathy, thank you. We are joined now by attorneys Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin, uh, who lead Alec Murdoch's defense team. Uh, Dick, Jim, good morning to both of you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Craig. You've got affidavits. You've got interviews from uh, three jurors and one dismissed juror. And in one of the uh, one of the affidavits here, this is juror 630. Juror 630 says, quote, according to the affidavit, I had questions about Mr. Murdoch's guilt, but voted guilty because I felt pressured by the other jurors. The juror, the juror there did not say he felt pressured by by Becky Hill. So are you accusing her of actually influencing the verdict or just acting improperly? You know, Craig, anytime there's outside influence in the sanctity of the jury room, it is improper. And the question, the legal question is not whether the outcome of the trial would have been different. The question is what, whether the information provided to the jury outside the confines of the courtroom is is prejudicial. I mean, it, it you you can never go back and 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 rewind the clock or put the toothpaste back in the tube. So so you know that that's a game that we can't play. But what we do know is the conduct that the, that the jurors have reported to us is highly improper and frankly illegal. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dick. Though, but to, to get this new trial, you're going to have to prove that whatever Becky did or said would have had some sort of material impact on the verdict, correct? Wrong. That's We've got to show she acted improperly. If improper conduct occurred, um, there is a presumption that we get a new trial. I mean, it is the, the United States Supreme Court, the Court of Appeals of South Carolina have all ruled on this issue. I've got to say, we couldn't find a single case where the Kirk of Court did something like this, but we did did find a couple cases where bailiffs did this. So there are cases where court officials say things, 
do things that indicate uh, they have an opinion or that they interfere in the in the uh, the dissemination of information uh, to the jury um, outside the courtroom. So, this, no, we, we don't have to show that would it would have made a material difference. This this motion is going to have to be heard by the same trial judge uh, who oversaw uh, the case. Judge Newman, are you are you planning on asking for a new judge? Well, I mean, we, first of all, the Court of Appeals has to rule it goes back. Secondly, I think Judge Newman realizes, based on our filings, that he's a witness. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I think Judge Newman uh, is going to carefully examine—I uh, have the greatest respect for him. And I think he's going to examine the pleadings and the issues and may, may conclude, as we have, that he's going to be a witness in this process. Why would he be called as a witness? Well, there's at least two instances where uh, it was reported to him, one instance where clearly it was reported to him that uh, the clerk had a conversation with a juror outside of the confines of the jury room, not under his direction. And he says, as we say in the, in the, in the, in the filings, he found that uh, unsettling. The question is, did he, do, did he follow it up with questions? If not, why not? What, you know, what happened there? And then there's another instance involving... Um, uh, information uh, concerning some Facebook posts that apparently were made up, uh, and we need to ask him uh, about that. Jim, the, the reality is, last question, the reality is a couple of weeks, uh, Alec Murdoch set to plead guilty reportedly to a slew of other federal crimes, federal financial crimes. There's still some outstanding state crimes as well. Um, he is likely going to spend the rest of his life in prison regardless of, of the outcome here. What do you say to some who might suggest you, you guys are just trying to sow the seeds of doubt, perhaps change public perception that Alec Murdoch did, in fact, kill his wife and son? Well, Craig, we strongly believe he did not kill his wife and son. He has admitted readily, you know, since September of 2021, that, that he engaged in financial fraud, financial misconduct to support uh, opioid addiction. He has never denied that. Now, he's, he's ready to accept the punishment for that. Is that life in prison without parole? We don't think so. We, we think it's substantially less than that. But, you know, it, as his son has said, and we have all said, a fraudulent lawyer does not equate to a murderer. And he did not murder his wife and son. Dick Harputley and Jim Griffin, thank you both for your time this morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting to see how this turns out. Pretty extraordinary development there in South Carolina. Coming up, we're going to have new details on the passing of TV icon Bob Barker, what we're now learning about the private health battle he waged for years. But first, Stephanie Goskier with a story we all love this morning, shining a light on the new generation of American tennis stars. They're, hey, looking, Steph. they're looking so good. Listen, anyone who stayed up burning the midnight oil last night was richly rewarded with, with some fantastic tennis. Two U.S. men in the quarterfinals. It's been a theme at this U.S. Open, which has been painted red, white and blue since the beginning. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. He would lie his way into their dreams. He was looking for James Bond girls 
How fun would that be to be a Bond girl? Then twist them into a nightmare. This guy has done this before. He'll do it again. Until a group of women banded together to put him behind bars and keep him there. You have to participate fiercely, fiercely in what happens next. I'm Keith Morrison, and this is Murder in the Hollywood Hills, an all-new podcast from Dateline. All episodes of Murder in the Hollywood Hills are available now. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Back 743 with the talk of the tennis world and beyond. It's so exciting. The finals at the U.S. Open just a few days away now. The event already feels like a big win, though, for American tennis. Several young stars are shining bright. NBC's Stephanie Gosk is here with more. Hi, Steph. Hi. Uh, it's a great time for U.S. tennis. Good morning. American tennis is having a moment, and it's even sweeter here on U.S. oil. For the first time in more than 50 years, Four black Americans reached the quarterfinals, and two of them, Coco Goff and Ben Shelton, just punched their tickets to the semis, leading this new generation of talented American tennis stars. Overnight, history unfolding at center court. 20-year-old Ben Shelton taking on 25-year-old Francis Tiafo. The first time two black American men have faced off in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. And it was a nail-biter. After four sets on a humid New York night, Shelton using his high-speed serve to beat his friend and fellow countryman. The young star celebrating his win with the crowd. Shelton now the youngest American man to reach the semifinals since Andy Roddick in 2003. A lot of Americans love that. Americans are indeed having a moment. Earlier Tuesday, 19-year-old tennis superstar Coco Gauff smashed her way to her first-ever U.S. Open semifinals winning her 10th match in a row, defeating Latvian Yelena Ostapenko in straight sets. I think today was definitely the best that I played the whole all tournament, regardless of the score. She's the first American team to reach the U.S. Open semifinals since Serena Williams more than two decades ago. She's my idol, and I think if you told me when I was younger that I would be in the same like stat lines as her, I would freak out. When Williams stepped away from the sport after last year's U.S. Open, many wondered what American tennis would look like without her. But now Goff and her fellow American players are proving they have what it takes to fill those very big tennis shoes. But not every American made it through. Novak Djokovic beat Taylor Fritz. Continuing his streak, he has never lost to an American at the U.S. Open. The number two ranked Serbian celebrating his win, singing a Beastie Boys tune. Djokovic is heading into his 47th semifinal match, passing Roger Federer with the most Grand Slam semifinals ever, with a new generation of American tennis stars looking to hold serve on their home court. We have a real opportunity to get some trophies, maybe on all ends of the event, and that would be really exciting. But it's a great time to be an American tennis player. Before their next singles matches, we'll have more chances to watch these Americans on the court today. Coco in women's doubles, Ben in mixed doubles. And just to give you some perspective on Ben Shelton's meteoric rise. A year ago, he was ranked number 165. But come next week... He's going to be in the top 20, guys. God. It's incredible. And he's kind of late to tennis. He uh, didn't grow up playing, but his father is a famous tennis coach and tennis player himself. It's just so fun. And they're so young, which means that we're going to, we're hopefully are going to be able to enjoy their talents for yeah. years to his come. His dad left his coaching job in college just to focus on being his coach. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting to watch. It's a great time for tennis. It's all working. Yeah. It's a great yeah. time. Love for it, tennis. Steph. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. I mean, I, one thing we know, it's been hot over there on those courts. That's right. But coming up this week, 
weekend, things will cool down. And why? Because of a cold front that's already causing some problems, some heavy showers and thunderstorms from Chicago down to Little Rock. Well, we've got a risk of severe weather, especially as you get down into the lower Mississippi River Valley. Good news, low tornado threat, but hail and gusty winds, a big problem. As that front works its way eastward, heavy rain into the northern Great Lakes. The good news is behind it, cooler air. But those strong storms move into the northeast tomorrow. Could be some airport delays. The storms will peak late in the afternoon. For today, record highs in the northeast, mid-Atlantic, on into New England. Heat continues down through Texas. Smoky conditions through the northern plains because of those pesky Canadian wildfires and the sunshine and seasonal conditions continue out along the West Coast. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Mr. Roker. Thank you, sir. Coming up, new details on that high-profile split of music star Joe Jonas and Emmy-nominated actress Sophie Turner. What he's saying about the decision to end their marriage. Carson's here. Well, guys, coming up on Pop Stars, we love music history. First time in 50 years as we crown the Song of Summer. We'll have that for you. Okay, and then y'all remember the black sheep sweater that Princess Diana... Guys, it's sweater weather right here in our studio. It's here.